This is Talk To Me. The official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore A new life to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. This is episode 151 of Talk To Me, the official podcast of Metal Nexus. Head over to MetalNexus.net for all the news, reviews, interviews, and the archives of the Talk To Me podcast. As always, I am Joshua Toomey, and as you can tell by my voice, it is allergy season here in the uh, southern Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky area. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to try to make this intro short and sweet, get right to my interview with John Connolly of Seven Dust, who have a great new album coming out on May 11th. That will be next Friday. Uh, they're first on Rise Records, and it is called All I See Is War. Fantastic album. I got it a few weeks ago and cannot stop listening to it. I cannot wait for you guys to check it out. And uh, yeah, so a lot of stuff going on this week. But before we get into my talk with John Connolly of 7 Dust, we do have a new show sponsor, a great band called Heart Sick out of Michigan. And these guys actually used to be known as uh, No Life. As you guys know, I toured in Primer 55 way back in the day, and a, and a young upstart local band called No Life opened for us. Uh, they gave me a demo, and honestly, one of the only demos that I could ever remember getting that I actually had in rotation in my CD collection. I had a burnt copy of their album for a very long time. I uh, have no idea where that where that is, but uh, when, when I heard that the band No Life is out now as Heartsick, I thought that was pretty awesome. They reached out, wanted to do some stuff on the podcast, and that's always appreciated. Uh, the track we're going to be checking out is a track called Coffin Chaser. You can find that at ReverbNation.com slash HeartSickBand. And if you want to hit all the socials, Facebook.com, Instagram, Twitter, all HeartSickBand. That's the uh, that's their official stuff over there, HeartSickBand official on YouTube. Check them out, iTunes, Spotify, all that great stuff. So let's check out some HeartSick with Coffin Chaser. For
All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was Heartsick with Coffin Chaser. You can check them out May 5th with Candiria at Max Bar in Lansing, Michigan. May 10th with Dead at the Music Factory in Battle Creek, Michigan. May 11th, Eddie's Club, Elira, Ohio. May 12th, Music Links in Cleveland, Ohio. May 19th, Civic Music Hall, Toledo, Ohio. And May 23rd with Sworn In at Counterculture Saginaw, Michigan. Great band. Make sure to check them out. Make sure and like them on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. And make sure you let them know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you. And before we get into Rob Rivera's pick from the kit, let me tell you about Good Company with Bowling. Yes, that is my good friend Scott Bowling over there with his show, Good Company with Bowling. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. You can check out interviews with Head. If you like Seven Dust, if you're here for the John Connolly interview and you want to hear some more Seven Dust interviews, obviously go back to the Talk To Me archives, but also head over to Good Company with Bowling. And check out his interviews with Lejean Witherspoon and uh, Clint Lowry. Also, if you're into the Atlanta boys, uh, Corey Lowry is also there and all kinds of great stuff. Upcoming interviews with Eddie Trunk, Sonny from POD, Rich Ward of Fozzie. So much great stuff going on over there. Great production value. And if you enjoy great interviews, make sure to check out Good Company with Bowling. That is uh, scottgoodcompany.com or just search out uh, Good Company with Bowling on YouTube. And once again, let him know that Talk To Me sent you. So since my voice is shot, let's head it over to Rob Rivera's Pick From The Kit. And then let's talk to John Connolly of Seven Dust. What is up, everybody? This is Rob Rivera from the band Nonpoint. Hope everybody is doing well today. Uh, this is my weekly segment here on uh, Talk To Me Podcast called Rob's Pick From The Kit. And before we get to that pick, I am going to do another plug for our tour, which starts on April 25th in Dallas, Texas with Butcher Babies, King Hill, and Sumo Cycle, the Kings and Queens tour. Uh, definitely very excited about this package. Uh, we haven't toured with any of these bands in the United States before. Uh, we have toured with Sumo Cycle in Europe. And uh, that they were awesome people. Uh, Sky is super sweet. Band is super cool. Uh, they had a very fresh sound. Uh, think like Skindred if you want to get some kind of a reference. Uh, really, really cool people uh, from Canada. So these shows are starting super early. So please get there early and watch Sumo Psycho. And uh, we want them to be exposed to our fan base so they can get you know gain some new fans. And uh, today's pick, I mean. Uh, Obviously, John Connolly was on the show today, one of the oldest friends of the band, and and my pick this week is uh, Face to Face, you know, and definitely my favorite Seven Dust song ever. Uh, they used to close all their shows with it. It was just like such a huge song to close the shows with. Um, anybody that knows, Nonpoint knows that we have a very long history with Seven Dust. We have done numerous tours. I believe we've done like seven tours of those guys and played numerous uh, radio shows with them uh, and one-offs and uh, it's just been an incredible relationship with those guys uh, I've always said that our careers are extremely similar um, it's been uh, pretty crazy how similar our careers have been but uh, much respect to those guys we have learned a lot from those dudes especially from the live aspect uh, one of the things we learned is uh, that we do at our shows is like little intros to our songs to kind of like impro improvise stuff and, and when you see a 7 Dust song you always see them do like little intros to their songs that's one of the things that we 
I want to say we ripped off a bit, but we learned that having a flow to a show, and that's one of the things that they're just masters at. They just know how to put on a live show. They're so consistent. I don't think I have ever seen a bad Seven Dust show, and we're talking since we first played with them in, God, I think it was 2001. We played in Orlando, Florida, St. Patrick's Day Bash in Orlando, Florida. And then later that year, we toured with them in Fuel. And we just done numerous runs with those guys. The most memorable one was uh, <coughs> 2006. It was us, them, Wicked Wisdom, Social Burn. And it, well, what a killer tour that was. It was long, almost, almost three and a half months long or something like that. We did like 60 shows all over the United States. It was amazing. I'd say every show was sold out except for like three. And those shows were like super packed. But it was a killer tour. Great guys. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but uh, uh, Clint Lowry um, came to the studio to work with us for our, our newest record, uh, X. So he co-wrote a song with us and uh, we bounced off ideas with him. And it was just a good time with him. A great two days. Really wish it could have been more because, man, I, it was such a good vibe and, and just really incredible working atmosphere with uh, with him. But anyway, enough blabbing. Here is Seven Dust with Face to Face. Real, I'm just about to the big end, swing, matter. Fuck me for the last 
Guys, that was Rob Rivera's pick from the kit, and now we have the great John Connolly of Seven Dust on the line. Man, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. You and uh, you guys in uh, nice. Nonpoint tend to tour a lot. Uh, any good Rob Rivera stories? We have. We've done Shiprock together. We, you know, uh, we actually haven't done it in a minute. <clears throat> um, we've done a lot of radio shows and like cruise ships. We did Shiprocked, and you know, um, we normally we'd see them on Earth Day birthday this year, but. Uh, we're off like a year on that that show, but uh, but yeah, man. I mean, it's gonna be good. Hopefully, we'll be able to cross paths with those guys, you know, a few times when we get out there. Um, yeah, funny story. Uh, Clint actually just went and co-wrote with them for the new record. Oh, there you so go. So that's that's some uh, some cool news. Yeah, Clint did a few co-writes this year, and Nonpoint was one of them. So uh, definitely looking forward to hearing that. But we love those guys, man. They're just. Uh, you know, they've been at it pretty much as long as we have. I mean, we came out right around the same time. And, you know, any band that can stick it out for that long, you know, and, and still be able to put out, you know, good quality music. I mean, that's the thing is like, there's a lot of bands that I've seen that have, you know, stayed, you know, around for a while, but it just sometimes, you know, the music kind of suffers or all of a sudden you have you know, how many rats do you have? I mean, how many, you know, it's like, wait a minute. Right. I don't ever want to get to a point where it's like, wait a minute, I just saw Seven Dust. No, this is the, uh, this is the Bobby Blotzer Seven Dust, you know. <laughs> this you is know, John Connolly's Seven Dust experience. Right, right, right. <laughs> we can't have any of that. No disrespect to those guys, but, you know, that's just, you know, for us to have the same five dudes that started this thing. Absolutely. Still doing it. Um, you know, for us, that's, that's probably worth more than, you know, a billboard award. <laughs> oh point. yeah. I mean, that's you one know. thing, you know, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll do research on bands for this show and I'll hit up the Wikipedia and the, at, you know, a former member section is always a mile long. And I happened to notice today, you know, obviously the only former member you have is Sonny Mayo and to have yeah. a band that's been going for 24 years strong now, uh, that's pretty, that's a, that's a pretty remarkable feat. Yeah, it is. You know, um, I, I'm not real sure what it really came down to. In all honesty, I think it might have happened just because, you know, Seven Us wasn't one of those bands that, you know, we didn't get signed when we were like 17, 18 years old. We weren't full-blown knuckleheads when we were out there on tour (laughs) to start this thing. Well, you know, 
close, <laughs> but you know, a handful of us, <laughs> a handful of us had already kind of been, I mean, Clint had been on tour at that point for well over a decade, you know, and I'd been right. on tour for a few years. So you kind of get out there and, you know, you make your rookie moves and all that good stuff. Once, when, you know, when we actually got on the road and started this thing with seven dust, we'd already had a good bit of experience. So, you know, I, I, I think we just avoided a lot of the, you know, the, the big mistakes, you know, absolutely. And, um, I don't know, man. I mean, we just, you know, we fight like brothers and everything. I mean, you know, it's, it's not always, you know, sunshine and rainbows and everything's perfect, but you know, we just seem to have a relationship that, you know, it just works. It's, mm-hmm. it's a chemistry that works. You know, like I said, we have our ups and downs and we always kind of figure a way to get on the other, you know, the other side of it. But I don't know, man, I think maybe we're just hard headed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's something to be said about, uh, you know, a band kind of forming and going through everything all together. And, and what you were saying about, you know, you, you guys necessarily weren't, you know, something just put together and, and, you know, you kind of grew together and things like that. So that has a lot to do with well, the, it too. And, you know, a family vibe. The original idea for it, I know for me personally and Morgan and Vinny, um, was just that we wanted to get in, you know, we wanted to, to make music with people that we didn't really have drama with. Yeah. And, you know, who are the coolest dudes in these bands that we like to hang out with and they have good personalities and just, there's just no drama, you know, because I mean, I've been in plenty of different bands and, you know, you, you'll have the one guy who'll, you know, be that, you know, dude. And it kind of just mucks everything up. But with Lejean, it was like, wait a minute, we got like the sweetest dude in the world. Um, you know, super type A personality, just, you know, I mean, he's one of the friendliest dudes you'd ever meet, which is, not typical for a lot of singers, you know, that are remotely in like heavy bands and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I think nowadays it's, it's a little more laid back, a little more chill, but I don't know, man. I mean, I think we just, we kind of started this whole thing, at least for ourselves, for the right reasons. You know, we didn't say, you know, we need to hire the biggest management and sign the biggest record deal. You know, we weren't even really trying to get signed. We were just trying to make music together and enjoy doing it. Yeah. And play enough to be able to pay the bills. You know, we knew our time was going to come at some point. It was just a matter of, do you rush into it? You know, back then, a big thing in the business was these, uh, you know, demo deals. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, you get a label on the hook and they give you a little bit of money to go in the studio and they get you all, you know, excited. You go in there, you do two or three songs and they're like, that's cool. We, we passed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, I mean, and just the development of artists was different back then, too. You know, I mean, we got lucky the fact that we didn't have a demo deal, but we also had TV2 Records, which, you know, they kind of had like the five, six year plan. They weren't thinking, let's just cash in on this real fast. You know, they wanted to kind of help develop us. So, you know, for us, that that meant the world. You know, yeah. I mean, kind of, but kind of looking back on the whole TVT deal, I mean, would you look back on that fondly or was that kind of a... Kind of turned it's out a to, mixture. Yeah, it's yeah. a mixture for sure because on one hand I have to look at it and I say, you know what? Um, if they hadn't gone all in on the first record, we released 311 records the first week we released our record. <laughs> and when we were actually in the studio making home, they came and presented us with our gold records. Wow. We didn't have a big hit on that record. Okay, it wasn't like we had a song that just dominated radio. Um, you know, it took, it took a minute. It yeah. took a, it took a lot of touring, took a lot of vans, a lot of RVs, 
you know, 400 and some odd shows. Um, but TV two was committed, man. They, they bought that, the Latin, Latin live special and, uh, they bought the airtime, you know, instead of just shooting a video and hoping for the best, they bought airtime, Yeah, you know, bought 30 minutes. They just held you hostage. It's like, you're going <laughs> to, you, you can change the channel if you want, but if you're going to watch this channel, you're going to see seven of us. What was that on? Well, I, I vaguely remember it was, that. Um, well, it, it was all over everything. It was like right before, or after like wrestling and they had okay. some after like racing and, you know, just all these quirky little spots where they knew where their target, you know, potentially the target demographic was. And it worked. I mean, it worked great. We were just like, you know, we'd never heard of a label buying a commercial. It's a, it's an infomercial. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> you great. Know what I mean, I was like, we'd, we're literally going to shoot an infomercial when we did it. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the stuff that happened later on down the road, I think we just, I think they were hoping we were going to turn into something else. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of those, the bands, the hives, the strokes, the white stripes, you know, all, all that stuff was kind of in vogue back then. And, um, I honestly think that they really thought we were going to maybe follow that path, wow. which would have been the last thing a band like seven us would ever do. Yeah. Well, I mean, TVT did have a few things going for it. I mean, obviously they also had nothing, you know, did. nothing face yeah. one of my, uh, one of my favorite bands of all time. And then also a young, uh, young Jose Mangan working there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, nine inch now is putting them on the map. That was True. a big deal for us because it was like, okay, you know, we'd heard the stories and everything. I mean, Steve Gottlieb was a, you know, he's a lawyer, he's a litigator. He's very comfortable in the courtroom. So he doesn't mind doing those things, you know? And on one hand, you look at it and say, that's a guy you want in your corner, but it's also a guy you really don't want to have to cross if, you know, you can help it since he kind of enjoys being in that, in that spot. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we were all big Nine Inch Nails fans and they were new, they were edgy. They had a young crew, young team. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, up until, you know, I'd say up until animosity, you know, Mm because even up through animosity, I think it was okay. But that's when we started to feel the disconnect. Um, The record took way too long because they kept sending us back in the studio to finish songs that we didn't want to finish for the record. (laughs) Um, They just didn't hear the record. I mean, they literally, they did not hear a single. We gave them dead set. They didn't hear it. Shine didn't hear it. Trust didn't hear it. Crucified didn't hear it. We were like, okay, we're shooting you our A game here. <laughs> We've literally just sent, you know, half of the record and you're not hearing anything. They finally heard praise and they said that they would kind of, you know, they would go with that one, but it was just like, uh, you know, what happened here? And that's, you know, about the point that we started shooting traditional videos that yeah. cost, you know, half a million dollars and dumb stuff like that. So it was like, all right. Well, what's the funny too is the really uh, cool, the really cool off the radar stuff, like the infomercials and things like that, that worked. But us trying to hire Marco Siega to shoot a waffle video and the record was just late. You know, we released in November because I kept stalling put us back in the studio, put us back in the studio. It was just overthought, you know? Mm-hmm. And the ironic part is it's one of our fans' favorite records, but being that we released the week before Thanksgiving, it barely made the top 30. Wow. You know, because we were up against Creed and, you know, Michael Jackson's new box release or whatever was out at that point in time. So, I mean, it's one of our favorite records, but... Yeah, that's it what was, I was about to say. That's one of my one of the ones I always go back in the catalog. Yeah, it's definitely it that is. One. And, and I got to be honest with you, the songs that we focused on and really, really worked to make 
make the record are not the songs that we all love. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. those were kind of like the extra songs that went along for the ride. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Live Again. I think it's a cool song. I don't think it holds a candle to shine, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, if I had, you know, if I was listening right now on a first listen and never heard Seven Dust and I heard those two songs, Shine would be my single pick all day long, you know. Right, right. But that's just me. So. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. On a personal note, TVT, one of the only labels I ever showcased for. Uh, Michelle Oaks and uh, TVT had us up in New York. Oh, nice. So that was always nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, the last time you were on, you were talking, we were talking projected. Uh, how did, how did you feel the album went over and then uh, did people get it? It went over great. You know, people really, really got it. They dug it. You know, I think the only thing we're missing at this point is just getting a little bit of luck and being able to take it on the road for a few weeks, you know. I thought I had an opportunity dialed in a couple times and then, you know, it's just, it's, it's a tough spot to be in mm-hmm. trying to navigate. It's one thing when you're trying to navigate two schedules, but when you're trying to navigate a third one right? and those two schedules are on a push and pull, it makes it really interesting because Mark does not take a break. You know, Mark literally goes from Alter Bridge straight into writing, into pre-production, into the studio. Mm-hmm. And he needs E-Rock there. You know, it'd be one thing if he was doing it all on his own. But I mean, E-Rock is, you know, he's a big part of putting all that stuff together with Mark and Garrett. You know, so I get it. But now I'm like, okay, your record's done. And now I'm getting ready to go on tour. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, one of these days, I'm going to figure out a window. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm thinking at some point in time, you know. We got to go out and just do a handful of dates. But yeah, I mean, I I had a good time doing the record. It was just, you know, a little disappointing that I couldn't, you know, figure out a way to to make the three opposing schedules, you know, work in the same space. But I'm still on it for sure. And we have a lot of new uh, songs actually already written. No, you don't. There's no way you have more songs. No, we actually do. (laughs) I have about I have about four or five that are absolutely no brainers. They're you know, we basically just wrote all last year. Yeah. Um, you know, Alter Bridge was on tour. Clint had a handful of Cedar things that he had commitments to, and we had those anniversary shows. We didn't do a ton of them. We did the one in March, mm-hmm. and we did a week's worth in June, and then three or four days worth in December. But in between and around that, um, I took a trip up to Atlanta to go and work with um, everyone but Clint. Clint was actually in Europe, still writing with us, uh, ironically enough, because um, we'd FaceTime and he'd send voice memos. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he was definitely in in the mix. And then there was a trip that Lejean <clears throat> and Morgan took to St. Louis to go and, and sit with Clint for a few days. But the rest of the time was us just kind of demoing at home. And, uh, you know, when you start in February and you don't go in the studio until October, you don't, you know, it's not like I'm looking at my daily total, like how many songs are in the, right. you know, in the Dropbox. But we sent the link over to Elvis and Elvis was like, what is this? <laughs> and Tim was like, that's their demos. He was like, dude, there's over 50 things in here. <laughs> and we were like, whoa, you know, sorry. So it was cool, you know, as we went through the process and we started actually, you know, throwing some vocal melodies and lyrics and things. There were a handful that I was like, that's projected song, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you're going through the process, I mean, I'd let I'd let the Seven Dust guys at least hear the music and the idea. And if they jumped at it, OK, then we make it, you know, not a projected song. But there was a handful that, you know, as we were going through the process, I was like, this is pretty obvious. So, yeah, I mean, it's cool. You know, at some point in time, I'll be able to 
you know, hop in, hopefully, uh, you know, with the guys. You just got to see how the schedule works out. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how soon I'm going to be putting anything out. Um, I don't even know that we, you know, would get a chance to record it this year, just the way that the schedule's kind of shaping up for us. There's windows for writing for sure. There's a few windows that I may be able to get like some drum tracking done, but besides that, you know, it'd be next year, the earliest before we'd actually get into the studio to do anything. So yeah, I mean, I'll be like the only dude in in the world who's got eight records released (laughs) and we've only played one show. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, it is tough to get so many schedules lined up. I mean, I I couldn't even imagine uh, trying to get that, get that together. Um, with the anniversary shows, uh, how, how did the fans react to that? I mean, were you seeing fans that you hadn't seen in 15, 20 years coming out of the woodwork? Um, sort of. I mean, there were a handful, but most of them were the diehards. Most of them are, are, you know, what we like to call our lifers, like, you know, our family, the extended family, the ones that, you know, they're going to be on Shiprock with us. They're going to do all the VIPs with us, you know, any kind of special, you know, thing that we're doing they're going to be there and they're going to be a part of it but we had a lot of people who travel you know <laughs> because we we knew you know we were stuck somewhere between do you do one show or do you do 30 shows <laughs> and you know one show wasn't enough even though it made atlanta very exclusive mm-hmm. uh, but 30 shows felt too heavy yeah because you know, we were like well we just got off tour and this is i know it's a debut record thing and it's a different thing but it's still if i go see corn and then I go see Corn playing the whole first record. I'm still going to see Corn. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we didn't want to. We didn't want to take advantage of the situation just because it was the anniversary of the record. But we knew that it was going to be important to do something. So, I think we ended up doing nine shows overall. And then, uh, you know, obviously the vinyl release went out. So it was kind of cool to finally get that ball rolling. Yeah, I think Hatebreeds did something recently. You know, with the they played their first album in its entirety and then a little bit off of their second album um and and it was soon after they had already played here you know months before but it was still like such an event that it was definitely worth going to the second time that's cool yeah yeah, yeah. very cool so with seven to seven so many albums out roughly 11 12 albums now what uh you know how hard is it for you guys to obviously not hard for you but i mean is it hard for you guys to write seven to songs after the, so many songs and so many uh so many writing sessions you know it's uh, i'm always thankful that when we come out of the demo you know headspace that we're in that i still get the guys in my band who react strongly to it because mm-hmm. I'm always worried. Am I like, you know, are we rehashing here? Are we just kind of, you know, redoing what we've done? Or are we actually moving in to a little bit of new territory? Yeah. I mean, once you've been around for as long as we have, you know, we're not going to wake up one day and sound like the White Stripes or, you know, ACDC. Right. But ACDC never gets accused of not sounding like, you know, like ACDC. So you kind of, you need to have that continuity, but you know, we always like to kind of push the envelope a little bit, you know, and kill the flaw. Mm-hmm. That record was a bit more technical. You know, we kind of went off the deep end for a little bit there and it was fun to do. Um, you know, cold day memory was one of those, you know, super technical records too. Um, but it's just cool that, I don't know. I mean, objectively I sit back and I listen to it and I don't think Lejean's ever sounded better. You I, know, agree, I, I agree with that. To the whole record, I mean, I think you're going to be pretty shocked when you hear the whole thing because he's just, 
if you ab it to any of the older stuff i don't know what it is it's just a different thing man it's like he's getting he's getting better with age for sure um but elvis just had a certain knack of capturing what it is that he does that you know i listen back to it i go it's better than our last record <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know and then when i ab the two of them it's better than our last record and i love the last record you know last record was important it finally got us a grammy nomination you know after slugging it out for a million years um you know, in ending certain relationships, you know, on that last album, we had moved on from old business managers and managers and, you know, we're moving into new, new territory. I mean, we basically were at the end of our distribution deal. And ironically, we still have the same distributor in place because the, the label <laughs> that we signed with basically just like, hey, same people. So yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really like it even ended. That relationship just kind of extended right. and got better because now we have a whole crew of fresh faces and new ideas. And, you know, if anything, we just added a really killer GM and a coach. You know right. what I mean? We got the team. We just need someone to start pitching some some really just outside the box. You know, sometimes we stay so busy in the creative world that, you know, it's the how many pre-order, you know, how, how many are we going to sign? How many different pre-orders do you want to put up? How many shirts? How many hats? You know, and we kind of look to rise and say, what's been working for you guys? Yeah. Because we haven't been doing those things. I mean, we did a few. We did the pledge campaign, which had a lot. Um, but it's just cool to let someone else kind of drive the car for a minute. You know, I mean... <laughs> How has that transition to Rise been? I mean, having having kind of an outside party, having a, having a little bit of a say, you know, when you've kind of been solo for so long. Sure. It's been awesome. I mean, it's literally, they've been leaning on us to kind of help make the decisions like on songs. And, you know, they didn't really push any producer in particular. They, you know, they were just really excited that we got a chance to work with Elvis. I mean, they've, they've kind of just let us do what we've been doing. Um, but, I mean, like I said, you know, as far as the pre-sale goes and getting all that stuff up and, you know, shooting, you know, the videos like we did, you know, doing those two together. Um, you know, those things were all good ideas, you know, things that we may not have even, you know, thought about doing. I mean, I look back on Kill the Flaw, we didn't even shoot a video. Wow. You know, we had a lyric video for Not Today, which was not a single. <laughs> and then no video for either one of our songs. And YouTube is like one of the the number one places people are discovering new music nowadays. So, you know, for us, it was important to kind of get back into that mode. You know, I have to say, I mean, I've heard the whole album. I think the album's amazing. And the, obviously the single, the first single you guys released is Dirty, which is obviously the first song that most of us heard. And I, I was sold as soon as that chorus hit in. I was like, whew, man, they like seven dust did it again kind of thing. So I, I, I loved it. And uh, I think, cool. I think it kind of, you know, it's, it's all the elements of seven dust, but it's also got a little bit of a heavier side to it. So, you know, I think, sure. I think you're going to, um, I think what this album is going to do, and in my personal opinion, what this album will do is appease all of Seven Dust, you know, all your Seven Dust faithful. But then also, I think it's going to bring in an entirely new batch of kids. And I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be, I think this album will be huge. Oh man, I really appreciate it. I mean, it's it's always tough when you're in it and you're kind of looking around, going, okay, you know, I mean, it's not so radically different for Seven Dust Records, but it definitely doesn't sound like you know, stuff that we've done recently. I mean, it's always going to have that element. Yeah. You know, Morgan's going to play his beats. I'm going to play my wrist. Clint's going to, you know, do his solos and his, you know, backup vocals a certain way. So it's, 
it's kind of hard to get away from that, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, we did three records um, self-produced back in 2005, 2007, 2008, 6, 8. I'm not sure when we did. Really, really close. Next Alpha and Hope and Sorrow. And then after we'd kind of done that, we went, all right, we kind of proved the point that we can do it. Um, maybe we shouldn't. You know, maybe it would be a good idea to get someone back in. And it was cool having Johnny K back in for a cold day memory, you know, because we had someone to lean on again. And then after that, you know, we figured, well, we haven't really self-produced. Um, we hadn't done anything with Mike Ferretti and or Clint other than the Call Me No One stuff and then, you know, what would be the latest projected record mm -hmm. so we were like why don't we try this for a while let's just go up there and just see what happens and for black out the sun it was like don't bring any demos in you know we're if you do we're going to lean on them very very lightly we wanted to try to create as much as we could there so most of this stuff kind of just happened on the spot up there with us all together and then we did the time travelers record which was completely left to center um and then we did kill the flaw which we knew was going to be a little bit heavier a little bit more technical and then, you know, after we did that, we were like, all right, well, we've tried three very, very different things. Um, maybe we should try a fourth. Let's go get a producer again. Um, I enjoy working with a producer because it's, there's always a, a level of ideas and things that you never would have thought about. Yeah. And Elvis was a plethora of that, man. I mean, he just, you know, he literally is that dude who every note. When I say every note, I mean every note, like every kick, snare, hat, cymbal, every bass note, every guitar note, every vocal, everything gets put under the microscope and gets a, you know, gets its day in court. Can we make it better? Should it be different? Should it be affected? You know, is it in tune? <laughs> you know, all the things right. most producers, you know, I'm just sitting there wailing away and he's just shaking his head. He's like, dude, man, you've, you've been out of tune for like three minutes now. We're not recording anything. <laughs> Right, but seriously, it it was it was cool to bring someone like that back in, you know, because he really is. He's, I mean, he's a guitar player by nature, and he's got a great voice, but he's a songwriter, you know, and he gets it all, you know, from drums all the way on up. So it was cool, you know, and it was a, it was just a good vibe. I mean, I already had a little bit of an experience working with him when we mixed the first projected record, so I kind of knew at least his style and his flow and his sense of humor. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there's no getting to know you. I mean, you know, we've seen each other at, you know, shows, Alter Bird shows, birthday birthdays, you know, festivals, things like that. Um, it was just cool. I mean, he's lives, you know, right down the road from me. So that was even cooler. I got to actually sleep in my own bed when I made the record, but, but no, we, uh, you know, we figured if we're going to hit the reset button on this, you know, we got a new label, new publisher, Let's get a producer and, uh, you know, let's get a crew on board and see, see what happens here. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I noticed, I, I don't know if I noticed it because I, I just know that you had a producer on this one or not, but I mean, you can definitely tell there's something else there. Like there's, there's another element to the album. Uh, maybe that's, that's been missing in the last few albums, but I think that, like I said, um, kind of getting it more into the album and listening to it. I mean, Lejean has such a, powerful voice that i think you guys could pretty much play anything under him and it's going to sound like a seven dust song yeah i mean and there's nothing wrong with that you know it, it's funny <laughs> you know at first people were like oh you know i really really love the new song but you know it kind of sounds like seven dust i'm like well thank you <laughs> <laughs> you know i was like if you thought you were going to be you know 
if if you thought for a second that was disrespectful in any way, then don't worry about it because I did want it to sound like Seven Dust. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I don't want to be a different kind of band because there's so many gears that this band has. I mean, the just the difference in the approach for you know not original to dirty. You know, I thought not original was a really important song to show because you know the angel side son of things and you know the weight side mm-hmm. of things. It's an important part of this band. You know, it gives us a different gear. It gives us a different opportunity. I mean, Time Travels and Bonfires, that was one of the funnest tours that we've ever done. Because you let your hair down, just strip it all out, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, let LeJean shine. And sometimes he shines better in that element than he does anywhere else. Um, because he's a super dynamic singer. I mean, being able to sing the heavy stuff and all the stuff with power like he does around all this rage that we're doing, sometimes it's cool when, you know, we back out of fifth gear and drop it down into second and, you know, just dig for a different vibe. I mean, we've always loved that mode, you know, which is a reason we did a whole record that was acoustic based and, you know, super, super chill. So not original was one of those songs that I was like, you know, yeah, there's plenty of, of heavy stuff on the record, but it's also a very dynamic record, you know? Now, is this the first time Vince has sang on the records? Um, no, he sang on a few things. He okay. sang on Got a Feeling, and uh, he's actually been in the booth a few times. We get him in there every once in a while. It's few and far between. But I feel like you had, uh, you had told me that he had one of the better voices in the band, but he just doesn't sing he's a lot. He's got an amazing voice. And, uh, he's just, he, we can never get him in the vocal booth. He can <laughs> sing higher than anybody in the band, for, hands down. He's like Michael Anthony. <laughs> I mean, nice. seriously, it's got to be a bass player thing, because... Wolfie Van Halen's got that super high voice. Michael Anthony's got it. Minnie's got it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely be singing quite a bit more on this tour. I mm-hmm. have a feeling. Good. <laughs> Which would be good. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, and then obviously not original. And the other single that's been released so far is it, all my notes here say is it's catchy as fuck. So like, it is such a sing along song. It's it's so crazy. Like the the second time you listen to it, you're already singing the chorus. That's that was the thing for me is like, you know, skeleton song was written about, you know, basically going to sleep with the song in your head and it just, just stays with you all night, you know, and that's what that's what good songs will do. Like, I've even had good songs that I hate that do it. And it drives me nuts because it's like, oh, now I got this thing stuck in my head and it's going to be there all night unless I can put another one in there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I heard the demo version of that, I was just like sign sealed deliver i mean wrap this thing up and put a bow on it i was like this song's amazing absolutely you know that was just one and it, and it was different it, it was so radically different from a lot of the rest of the stuff that we were doing which is cool you know and and that's why i think it was important for us to really explore a lot of the melodic side of the band on this record um you can be having a melodic at the same time you can be you know a completely different vibe but you know for us it, it's always that fine line between okay we've done this before but maybe we should do it again. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it, it was cool then. It should be sort of cool now. Let's just put a different twist on it. You know, that, the biggest different twist was definitely Elvis coming in and weighing in and voicing his opinion. Cause he's, you know, he grew up on, on totally different types of stuff um, than we did, but we do have a very common, you know, vision. I mean, he knew what we needed to sound like, you know, ever since he heard home, home is one of his favorite records. And he was like, well, was like, we need to get back to that something in between like the home and the animosity thing. Just, mm-hmm. You know, there was a certain thing that was happening that, uh, 
you know, it's it's hard to quantify and put your finger on, but you know, as a producer, he was like, you know, just let me have a rip at it. And uh I mean everything just felt easy, you know. Even when you know you're working, it just felt so much easier when you could lean on someone else, you know. I could always go to Clint Lejean and say, What do you think about this? But it was cool to go to Clint Lejean, Morgan and, you know, Elvis if they were sitting there in the control room and go, What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And you know, from a producer's point of view and as a fan of the band, you know, he has no problem telling you if something is shitty <laughs> right. in the nicest way. You know what I mean? But if it's not cutting it, yeah, he'll just tell you straight up, look, man, I'm just not feeling it. But if he does feel it, he'll fight for it, you know? So it was cool having him in there, you know, to help referee. I mean, we never really get that bad once we're in tracking mode or whatever. Um, but there's always going to be a little bit of headbutting over, you know, direction, certain songs, what we're calling this song or whatever. But, you know, having Jeff and Elvis on board this time, it was it was kind of cool because they, they voiced their opinion and we'd kind of take notes we went along. Now, with this being roughly the 12th album and you have, you know, a bazillion songs in your catalog, I mean, how how important are some of these tracks that you, you know, that you know that you'll never play live or you may never play even in a jam room together and to, and to maybe just experiment on some of these songs too, to where, you know, you can, well, let's just try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, you know, it sucks when you sit there and you have to think about the fact that, all right. I mean, literally, you know, if you have 12 songs on a record, you know, you're probably only going to get to, you know, at best four or five of them, you know, yeah. if you're doing really good, you can explore half of them, but you know, it's, uh, it's tough because every time we release a record, we just create more of those <laughs> that we may never get to. Um, I mean, I'd love to be able to kind of get around to some of the deeper cuts at some point. It's tough when you're in festival season because you go up there and you play in front of, you know, 40,000 people, 75% of which have no idea who you are. And you got a choice. You're either going to play pieces, which was not a single mm-hmm. or denial. Oh, right. wait a minute. I've heard that song. Right. So during the festival run, it's always tough because we've we've tried to do the deep cuts on the festival thing just to do it, and it doesn't work. <laughs> right. It does not work at all because people are just kind of sitting around going, no, I have no idea who this is, and I've never heard this song. So it's kind of like towing the line. Like I'm hoping that we can start out the tour um, doing more of the, you know, what most people are more opt to hear. And then as we move into the summer, it would be nice to be able to kind of gravitate away from that and get into, you know, actually getting to some of the deeper stuff, you know, especially once the record's out. I mean, I'd like to take a rip at a few of these that most people wouldn't expect us to play, mm-hmm. um, especially because they're new, you know, something different. But it was fun even doing the time traveler stuff where we kind of went back and revisited songs that we hadn't played in years. I mean, you know, that we kind of joked around on self-titled, you know, that New Year's Eve show. I think I looked at Vinny right when we walked off stage. I was like, that might have been the last time we'll ever play Born to Die. And he was like, you know, I was thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if you think about this, there's no real reason to do it. It's not to say we couldn't throw it in there every now and again, but there's like, it's like, it doesn't have to be done. You know, like, will it bleed? It's a cool song. I'm not sure if it's going to knock something newer out, you know. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I'd like to get creative with the set list at some, some point and, and you know, either come up with something. I don't know. It, there's just so many songs that would be so cool to play. You know, I'm sure our fans would absolutely lose their mind. And our headline shows, it's a totally different story. Um, 
because we can pretty much play almost anything. I mean, most of the fans that are there, if they don't know us, they're with someone who does. Right. You know, someone's brought a brought a friend. So, yeah, man. I mean, well, would you guys ever? Would we, you guys ever got, think what, about 150 doing fifty songs? Now? Yeah, I, was, I did the math. I was like, if you did, if you did twelve now, that's one hundred forty four. But um, plus all the B sides, yeah. and the soundtracks. <laughs> would you guys Jeez. ever uh, think about doing a Machine Head style, an evening with type type tour? Well, we did with Time Travelers, and okay. it was cool because it was an extended evening, not quite as extended as theirs was, um, which is awesome. I mean, I went and saw the show, and I thought it was great. Was the time, We'd love to. Was the Time Travelers like half acoustic, half electric, or was that all electric? It was all acoustic. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah, it was all acoustic. We actually had a keyboard player out with us, completely stripped down, different, totally different vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, no amps, no nothing. You know, acoustic guitars plugged into... Both of us had like a delay pedal just so that we'd have something to kind of play with. But other than that, that was it. Wow. Um, I think I put, I, I put my whammy out for a couple of weird effecty things out there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but we were sitting in stools, you know, I went yeah. to Machine Head and I was like, holy shit, man, that was like a two and a half hour show. Yeah. And you know? it was great. And I loved it. So yeah, it was awesome. It was killer. I actually went and played uh, golf with Phil the day before when they came in town. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm up for anything that's anything left of center at mm-hmm. this point. You know, it's cool to go and play Carolina Rebellion, but I can, you know, it's a 45-minute set, and there's only so much you can do with it. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying <laughs> right. it is what it is, you know. It's so much more fun when you can get in the headline mode, and then you can really, you know, you can freak some people out if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and another back to your uh talking about playing festival type stuff. I mean, you're basically, if you try to pull out the deep cuts, I mean, you're also being surrounded by bands that are playing all, you know, greatest hits, uh, you know, sets all day too. So basically everybody knows every song all day, except for when seven Dust oh, comes yeah. up and they're playing, you know, yep. the, 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 <laughs> yep. the 12th track. Off even, of, we've gone out there and stood on the side of the stage and be like, all right, find a song that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just watching these other bands. It's like, that's what people want to hear at those festivals. They want to hear the tunes that they know. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like it's the it's the same thing with headline stuff because it's like, all right, we may not play praise for a tour and we hear about it, or <laughs> we didn't play black at this show, we hear about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it definitely can go both ways for sure. So um, I wanted to hit on uh, what are we gonna go with next here? The you're pretty active on your on Seven Dust fan page on on uh, on on Facebook. You know, you seem to be very active in the social media side of the band. Um, what what makes you want to do that and, and dive into you know being out there with all the uh, the, the comments? <laughs> Just to help, to be quite honest with you, I, I was probably the latest one of the party. Uh, Clint, I mean, Clint goes back to MySpace, you know, and I never did MySpace, and then Morgan kind of started, I believe, with Twitter. And, you know, Clint and uh, Morgan both do Twitter a good bit. Um, everyone does Instagram, except for Vinny. And we've got Facebook pages, but it was kind of like, all right, you know, I'll handle this one a little bit more than the other ones, just so we can kind of spread it out. But I've been on it, I guess, about six years now. And uh, sometimes it's just easier. You know, Twitter's great. And now that they've extended the characters, it's even better. But sometimes getting a point across on Twitter... You know, you've you got to be really short and concise, and sometimes it, it, you know, can get a little bit longer than that. And on Facebook, it works. Um, 
you know, you're still going to deal with knuckleheads and, you know, <laughs> folks that just don't even deserve responding to you. Trust me, six years ago, I would respond to everything. And now I'm just like, all right, do I really want to waste the next hour and a half of my life going back and forth with them about this? And uh, the answer is no, you know, so I get in there, you know, I stay involved, but I try to stay out of the, you know, the weird stuff or try to have it shut down pretty quick, you know, right. people arguing about stuff. It's like, come on, <laughs> You know, we're all into this together. Right. It's no, man. music. It's Facebook. It's social media. <laughs> why is everyone so pissed? I mean, why do you think we call the damn album All I'd See is War? You know, it was like the most fitting thing ever. Because everyone wants to get offended and pissed off about anything at the drop of a dime. I'm like, oh, geez. Can't do anything anymore without pissing someone off. It's funny. that This show has a pretty decent... Um, you know, Facebook presence, and the only the only real negative stuff I ever got was when I had one of my heroes on, which is Phil Anselmo. I posted that episode, and Jesus Christ, I, I thought I was you know starting a clan rally at some point. Oh, jeez! You know, people coming out of the woodwork just to tell me that I sucked. Yeah, and they'll do it too. That's the thing, you know. And I had to grow some thick skin pretty quick because yeah, I remember when LJ would sit down with me, you know, when we like blabbermouth was not in its infancy, but it was like an, an early on thing. And he'd be reading the comments and be like, who is this Slayer, you know, 666 <laughs> dude? I'm like, it's probably some dude in his mom's basement who's just commenting to get a rise out of you. And LJ's like, well, how do I log on to this thing? I want to comment. I'm like, no, you don't, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't want to do it. You will spend the next couple hours going back and forth to get nowhere. Right. At some point, you just have to say, is it worth it? You know, I mean, if, if if it's you know deserving of really digging into, it's fine. But like opinions and things like that, whatever. Oh yeah, I mean, and also I have a very sarcastic sense of humor. So if I see a blabbermouth sure. post, <laughs> if I see a blabbermouth post, I can immediately go to what would be the funny response to this and not even mean it. So it's like that's what I kind of always feel about you know if if I see sure. somebody posting shit about me or uh, or or the show. Right. It was funny. Someone posted in the group and I, I kind of try to at least get around and engage in most everything just a little bit. It was funny, you know, and I respected his honesty. He was like, you know, I don't know, man, I'm just not really feeling not original. Anyone else feeling that? And I, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he commented in there. He was like, man, I'm sorry. I'm like, dude, you're to- totally entitled to your opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who don't like, trust me, if you interviewed 107 us fans, they're going to give you probably a hundred different least favorite songs you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so it's like it's it's all subjective you know and we're cool with it especially with a band you know we're the one band that can go and do a creed tour and then go do the tattoo the earth tour with slayer Mm -hmm. sepulcher and slipknot and then go back to a creed tour so it kind of comes with the turf you know i know that we've we've been a confusing band for a lot of you know a lot of people our fans get it but people who aren't really quite fans of us, they don't, you know, I guess they want us to be in one category of something. And I don't know what category that would be. You know, we get called new metal all the time. I'm like, we really don't rap. Um, there are solos. Right. So, you know, but we're not straight up metal. We're more of a rock band. We've got more of an R&B thing. So, you know, call us what you want. But, you know, for us, we just, you know, if we wrote the same song, every track on every record it would get old real fast so we tend to try to mix things up 
I agree with you. And speaking of social media, that I did post on uh, the Seven Dust page for some questions for you. And uh, actually, I was pretty surprised with some of them that came through. So I'm going to ask a few of them sure. to you. Um, let's see here. I'm gonna. I'm definitely not going to ask you like, why aren't you playing Oshkosh, Wisconsin on this tour? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a couple I of those. We no, no, no I, you might be, but I'm just. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, Guy E. Hopewell says, if the name Seven Dust wasn't available, what name would you have liked for the band? And then obviously somebody oh, wrote Crawl Space, but <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of glad Crawl Space was taken because it was like that. That just I don't know. It, for us, it was cool. For I don't know. I love we, that name, by the way. I remember hearing of Crawl Space. It was okay. <laughs> it was just a little too, you know, if we were going to be like this heavy industrial weird kind of a band, it would have kind of fit. But it just didn't feel right with bringing LJ on board, right? You know, because I was like, he gives us a, a different a different look um i don't know man i mean we had so many names on the list that were so stupid you know i mean tvt wanted to call us stash um <laughs> i think we did a show as hurt circle nice you know wow. i was like we were just all over the map i mean it was like a breath of fresh air when, when Vinny walked in and goes what about seven dust we all just kind of looked at him and like wow that sounds really cool gotta be taken someone has that name registered no one did so I don't know. Um, geez, at Rumblefish, because Rumblefish was the original name of the band, mm-hmm. and I think it actually fits a little bit better than Crawlspace. But we would have had to buy it. So yeah, probably probably pretty pricey on that one. Um, yeah, a little bit. Scott Bowling, you may be familiar with him through his show oh, yeah, Good absolutely. Company with Scott Bowling. Uh, he posted on my Patreon page: Will his old band Peace Dogs ever reunite? And is there any footage of you playing drums in Peace Dogs anywhere? Man, the problem with the footage is like, I don't even think videotapes were invented back then. I mean, this is like (laughs) first version of electricity. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I haven't talked to those guys. Well, I've talked to Kyle, obviously Kyle, um, who's in hell. Yeah. Now Um, we've done a handful of dates with them. Um, It was actually a little bit of a discussion about us, um, you know, kind of being on cycle um, because I think they're, uh, they're going to be, uh, if they're not tracking, they're demoing now. So we're going to be really close to the same tour cycle. So we could actually do some shows together for sure. But I don't know, man. I mean, if there was demand enough for it, you know, it would be fun to go back and do. I haven't played drums like that in years. So I'd probably be better at the guitar parts. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that would probably just be a huge Atlanta thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were big in Atlanta and, that was pretty much it, you know. Yeah. The guys did a little bit more touring. I mean, we went and we toured up, you know, in the New York area, handful of dates here and there. We didn't do a ton of touring. They they kept touring after I was uh, already gone from the band. So, you know, I don't know if they conquered any new territories, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was just kind of one of those very very, you know, a very very small section of Atlanta kind of got what we were doing, you know, and it was cool. And I mean. I learned a lot. I mean, yeah. I learned how to play guitar, you know, sitting there trying to figure out how to write a damn song, um, <laughs> you know, with Mike Grimmett and, you know, Kyle and them back in the day. Uh, still very much a drummer, but, you know, that was where I started to kind of shift gears a bit. But uh, it'd be good to see the guys. I haven't seen them in forever. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Um, Melissa, Jeffrey says, who was your idol growing up? Oh, man. Um, the first one. Hmm. You know, the first one I was kind of, 
I was blinded by the demon. Um, I thought Gene Simmons was at first, and then I realized Ace Frehley was, even though I was a drummer, um, just because I really, really gravitated towards a lot of his songs, yeah. his Kiss songs. Those were the ones that I was just like, when he released that solo record, I was like, I knew it. <laughs> I was like, this guy's a badass. Um, and it was great. I mean, I loved all their solo records. I think I liked Paul's the least. Okay. But I really did love Gene's record, too. I thought it was a cool record. I thought Peter's record was a little too um, old school for me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley were the first two. And then after that, um, you know, I was a Rush fan, man. Growing up a drummer, it was hard not to have Neil Peart be like one of your favorite drummers of all time. Um, you know, he was a guy that I always kind of looked up to just just for the, you know, the, how technical he could be. You know, a guy like Bonham had all the feel in the world, but there was just something about the technique that Pert had that was just so radically different. But as far as, like, guitar idols, I don't know, man. I still, to this day, remember the first time I heard Pantera. Because I remember the first time I heard Eruption. Mm-hmm. And that traumatized me a little bit. I was really, really glad that I was a drummer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. This is a game changer right here. You know, second song on the record, you know, talk about balls. It's like, okay, we're coming full blown with a guitar solo, not a little one. <laughs> um, and, you know, further on down the road, once I saw Dime do that solo again, mm-hmm. it all just kind of clicked because I was a really, really big Eddie fan. Um, I loved Manhattan, but I was still a drummer. I hadn't actually converted over to guitar. So a lot of the stuff that I was doing were, you know, I mean, I could play a ton of Van Halen songs all on the drums. <clears throat> so for me, it was kind of cool that uh, I learned a lot of Eddie technique by digging in a dime bag because Eddie was one of his favorite guitar players, you know, him and Randy Rhodes and, mm-hmm. you know, Billy Gibbons were like the big three for, for dime. And, you know, as you're stumbling into, you know, what was the madness that made his style so cool? There was so much of all of the guys in there. But it was hidden so well that, you know, you'd have to be a fan of the original to really get it and to really hear it, you know. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, James Hetfield, because he's probably the reason I'm playing guitar right now anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with with either Hetfield or Dimebag. So. No, Master of Puppets <laughs> was one of those records that was like, okay, heavy music is acceptable. Because Slayer kind of confused me, like. I got it, but there was like there's so much, you know, satanic stuff going on that it was kind of hard to you know, leave that record laying out around in the house. You know, <laughs> have mom and dad stumble across that. You're like, wait a minute. Um, and Megadeth was cool, but Metallica for me was that, you know, they were the one. Mm-hmm. They were the band that just kind of stood out. And uh, he's just the best rhythm guitar player that's probably ever lived. And no one talks about his vocals, you know. Arguably, he's written some of the biggest songs of all time. Oh, yeah. Like, you never see James Hetfield in any vocalist list. And I think that's the strangest thing ever, you know. And until you said it, I didn't even think about that. So, yeah. Never. I mean, he doesn't even get, like, an honorable mention. I'm like, a lot of the stuff he's singing is really fucking hard to sing, you know. It's like, it's not easy stuff. And uh, no one ever mentions it. (laughs) So, I'm, I'm saying it right now. I absolutely, you know, grew up loving his voice. Even when he switched over, you know, from doing his earlier thing to the stuff that he kind of started doing with Bob Rock, I've just, I've always been a fan, you know, 
and the melodies are always key. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's not just about the voice, but what he's actually singing. Yeah, I mean, he was the guy who kind of set the ball in motion for me once I got past the Kiss thing. Right. Yeah, and I, I love all those bands you brought up. But uh, what uh, Peter Hanna says, what and where was your first tattoo? What and where was my first tattoo? Well, it was my, my dog's head for the Peace Dogs. <laughs> and I still have it. He's on my upper. Let me see. Is he on the right? He's on the left. He's over here. I'm going to know where he is on. Yeah, I've had him actually kind of redone a couple times. He's part of the, you know, he's just part of the sleeve now. But, uh, you know, there was a moment in time where I was like, should I cover that up? And I was like, nope, not a chance. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually fortunate that I don't have any that I really want to cover up. Like, I didn't do a name or. I didn't do like I didn't put peace dogs across my chest. You know what I mean? <laughs> the second I get a seven dust back tattoo is the day I get fired. So I'm right. not doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky that I haven't really regretted anything. I've regretted a direction that I've gone in the middle of the sleeve and kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing that was like, oh, God, you got to get rid of this. I got to get this covered up, you know? Yeah, I've got one uh, one road tattoo that I kind of wish I would have never agreed to. But other than that, I think I'm good with mine. Right. <laughs> you know, the guy in Arizona is like, yeah, man, I got a tattoo shop. I'll give you a free tattoo. You're like, fuck oh, yeah. yeah, free tattoo. Oh, yeah, I've had quite a few of those. A so, couple of them on the list that we got to go over the top of this one. Not like to cover it, just to redo it. You know? I think that's what it I don't think it's necessarily to, it's a bad tattoo. It's just that you get a road tattoo and you can't properly take care of it and let it heal properly. So that was, always, that was my it's problem. always such a nightmare on tour. Yeah. No matter what you use, you know, whether you're using lotion or bag bomb or any of the million and sixty three <laughs> things they tell you to try to use. It's just you know, you're in clubs, you're sweating, it's usually pretty mm-hmm. hot, smoky environments, meeting a million and sixty three people, nobody has washed their hands in at least ten hours. You know. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, this is definitely the worst environment possible to try to heal a tattoo. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Mike Yule says your favorite rock star moment. It doesn't really go into favorite rock star moment. Um, (laughs) Favorite rock star moment. Okay. Probably taking a nosedive off the front of the stage, (laughs) opening up for Metallica in front of my wife. Nice. I'm sure she was in front of the house (laughs) and uh, she witnessed it. (laughs) It was one of those moments. I mean, the poor guitar got trashed. Yeah. Um, I just, I hit the sub boxes. I went out there. They, they said, watch the tape. But you can see where the tape was. You know, it was glowing, mm-hmm. you know. And as soon as I put my foot on the box, it slid sideways. And three of the rest of the boxes just went to the left. <laughs> and I went straight into the rail, straight into the front row. Did this you? was either in, I think it was either in Columbus or in Indianapolis. Wait a minute. It was Cleveland. Okay. Uh, it, was where, it was where the Cavs play. I mean, the place was sold out. And of course... You know, we had the best spot operator in the business on me. <laughs> he never took that light off me. My feet were straight up in the air, and he had me right in there. <laughs> I'm assuming there's video yeah. video somewhere of that. Uh, I'm, I was, there's got to be. Yeah. Because if there's a if there's a video of the Pontiac Silverdome that was during that same run, so mm-hmm. yeah, there has to be. Yeah, that's probably the one that I'll be like, all right. It's very difficult. It was in the first song, too, by the way. This wasn't like at the end of the show. This is like coming right out of the rip, running across the stage into the crowd. You know? so, and my wife was lucky enough to be there to witness it. So, I got a lot of friends at Cleveland. I have to ask about that, see if they remember that. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
it's in this. This is in the Seven Dust post. You'll have to go in because there's a picture of you that someone. Uh, I'll take this part out, but there's a, there's a photo of you wearing a a black you know black button up with flames going up and your hair is bleached and you got the goatee and yeah, everything. I was on <laughs> and someone says, "How does it feel to the to be the embodiment of 1999?" <laughs> <laughs> hey man, pretty close. You know, we're riding around in a van. Everyone's just slinging stuff at us. Love yeah, we went out there that day, spiked our hair up, and I think it was dragonfly stuff. It was either dragonfly or BCF. Like, I don't remember what it was, but yeah, you those were at... two of the companies that we had as sponsorships. <laughs> yeah, that was it. You that look... was 1999. That's what it looked like because we were oh, all I wearing all kinds of jinkos and <laughs> all the crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, I mean, some of it I look back on and go, okay, it was a learning process. And you know, the other part of it was just like, man. I know the free clothes were a big deal, but <laughs> <laughs> did you have to wear everything? <laughs> no, hey, I was there too. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> I'm glad there are not Our a lot of stylists would be dressing us on the first record, you know, just doing weird stuff with eyebrows and hair. It was like, what is happening right now? A lot of shiny shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. BC Ethic for sure. I had a couple of those. Yeah, you definitely look like you came out of a Gadzooks. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's pretty much what we were doing. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Loy Atkinson says, how does it feel to be in one of the best bands in America? Oh, it feels pretty good. I mean, I really appreciate, you know, you considering us in that. Um, it's cool, man. I mean, it, it's kind of to the point now where, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful to get an opportunity to get there on stage and still do it with these guys. You know, we've been through so much together, <clears throat> you know, most of which is probably self-inflicted at the end of the day, you know, you can only look at your past and blame the past and, you know, people who used to, you know, be with you, work for you, whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, we put everybody in place. So I look at it and say, hey, you know what? We've learned a lot. And, uh, you know, we came out on the other side, no worse for wear. We still enjoy doing it. We still enjoy making music. You know, we still look forward to going on tour. You know, some places not as much as others, <laughs> you know. United Kingdom in November and December is a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's cool that people even put us in the mix of, uh, you know, being best at anything. It's a random one, and I almost didn't ask it, but it's almost too pe too peculiar not to ask. But someone's, Rusty Khalees says, did you wrestle in high school? No, LeJean did, though. Okay. LeJean like was our resident wrestler. Um <laughs> Clint, I don't think Clint played any sport. I ran track a little bit. Um, Vinny played football mm -hmm. and was actually really good. He was a uh, running back. Lejean wrestled and did judo. And Morgan played baseball. Okay. Um, and did marching band like I did. Nice, nice. Uh, speaking of football, actually, this will be for me. But what's the uh, the the obviously? Well, not what's the, but um, how did the Atlanta Falcons? Um, Falcons on top come uh, come together. That was something that got brought to us by Edsel. Um, Edsel Dope. He'd actually uh, really he'd been working on the song. Yeah, I mean he'd been in touch with LJ about a few odds and ends things, and he he got contacted and you know knew that we had the connection to Atlanta. He hit us up and said, "Hey man, let's just go blast this out in the studio real quick, and then go shoot a video." We were like, "Cool," you know. I mean, as much as I'm a Jets fan. But you still grow up, you know, if that's the town you grew up in. I mean, you're, I'm always going to root for them, mm -hmm. you know, especially when they blow a 28-point lead to the <laughs> Patriots. You know, and I'm like, oh. I, 
I'm, I'm still a little nauseous over that one. <laughs> oh, man, it, it was terrible because, you know, of course, we're sitting there at a party and at the half, everyone starts posting on Facebook and celebrating and everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, don't jinx it. Please don't jinx it. And as soon as the third quarter started, I knew it. I could smell it. I was like, oh, no, this is happening. It's happening again, you know. I'll give him credit, man. He's he's one of the best. He's one of the best of all times being able to pull it off, you know. But what they did to us was, oh God, never should have happened. I think someone had posted something. I think mathematically, if they would have once they got up twenty eight three, if they would have just taken a knee every snap after that, they would have won. <laughs> yeah, probably. Or you know, kick a field goal occasionally, or do right. whatever you got to do just just to stay ahead, mm-hmm. you know. As soon as they tied it to go on overtime and they won the toss, it was like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. You're not going to, you will not beat Tom Brady in this scenario. You won't do it. You got to have him pinned like last Super Bowl where he was down way deep in his, you know, by his own end zone. <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, the Falcons thing was cool, man. And it was Edsel. You know, he hit up LJ and LJ hit us up and we said, yeah, sure. That'd be cool. Yeah. Edsel's a good guy, man. I, I, I've toured with him, you know, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Good dude. dude. Uh, scariest moment on tour asked by uh, Tate Zimba. Scariest moment on tour. Um, Any bus accidents? Bus yeah. Was pretty terrifying. Um, bus fire was pretty scary because we had to actually run, not really through it, but where the, the fire was. Um, it was on the front right uh, passenger side tire, which is right where the door is to get in and out of the bus. Mm-hmm. So that's where all the smoke was coming up. So, you know, instinct tells you we we're supposed to go the other way. But this is back in the day where we didn't have those like hatches and you couldn't just pop the window out of the back lounge or whatever. So you had to go through it. You yeah. know, so here we are all in our underwear <laughs> running through the bus into the parking lot. That was pretty scary. Um, we had a couple times up in the Canadian Rockies that, we just had a driver who I, I just, he'd get lazy and he was just riding in the rumble strips all the time, you know, which are like eight feet from impending doom. Um, you know, it was to the point where we all had a meeting and we just said, look, he's a nice enough guy and he's just got to go. I mean, it's few and far between when we have to do that with a driver, but this one we are like, I wake up every day thankful that I'm still alive and that's not a good way to tour. So <laughs> that was probably the other time. But I mean, other than that, um, our tour manager at the, at the time getting a gun pulled on him in a club in Sydney, Australia, I believe. No, it was Melbourne. Uh, that was pretty scary. You know, that's not a, not a typical thing that happens when you're out on tour. Um, but yeah, the fire of the gun, Canadian <laughs> Rockies. Uh, those are probably the big three. Yeah, anything to do with the basically driving a bus on the side of a mountain is probably never a good oh, idea. Oh God, no. <laughs> I've d- I've done it in a van and trailer, and I always trailer. Right, I always right. I always just picture that trailer just fishtailing off and then just oh, <laughs> dragging yeah. everybody down with it. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. The worst. Uh, a couple more, and then uh, then we'll get onto the tour. Then we'll, I'll get you out of here. But um, Chris Tornatola. How the hell do you guys decide who sings at what time? Do you fight slash debate over vocal parts? Um, I mean, in the studio, it's just kind of one of those, you know, random things. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. You know, sometimes it's just 
someone else is available, someone else is there when someone else isn't there. Um, you know, I mean, we all kind of can mimic each other's voices enough. I even sort of learned how to do the crow a little bit. Um, <laughs> I did it on one song that's not on the record, but you know, somebody heard it and they're like, wow, that's a little different from Morgan. I'm like, yeah, cause it's, it's not, it's not, it's not as good, but, um, it, it changes, you know, and it changes from the studio to the tour sometimes. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it has nothing to do with the fact other than when we start on tour, you know, it's going to take a good four or five shows for your voice to really settle. So if someone's really, you know, struggling, someone else can kind of jump in and pick up parts, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes with Morgan stuff, Morgan will do things on the record and just the way that it's broken up, um, it requires another voice to do. So usually Clint or myself will jump in and, and get on those. Vinny's kind of the all over utility guy and we can kind of get him to pick up anything if need be. But it's kind of cool that we actually have, you know, a band where everybody can actually jump on a mic and pull their weight, you know, I know Vinny doesn't give himself credit where credit's due, but he's a solid singer, you know, and mm -hmm. it's really cool to have that kind of a voice on tap at any given point in time, because there's nothing that he can't sing. You know what I mean? Like he could probably sing some Walter Bird songs if he really wanted to, man, you know, he's got that gear and uh, it's just not a struggle for him, you know? So it, it's cool to have him on the mic, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes, It'll be something that Clint wrote in the studio and I sing live or vice versa. Um, you know, through the years, it, sometimes you forget who played what or who sang what. And sometimes you're just kind of jumping apart. Sometimes we add an extra voice on things just to kind of fill it out a little bit. Um, but, I mean, the, the cool thing is we can all do it and we all enjoy doing it. So, yeah, might as well have the mics out there and just... Whoever's feeling it that day, get on it. <laughs> well, where did the idea for that come from? I mean, because I know a lot of drummers over the years have always been like, hey, I need a mic, I want to sing a part. And you're just like, no, nah, no, drummers don't sing. <laughs> you know, so sure. so who, uh, who, you know, how did that kind of evolve into, you know, everybody? Two drummers. Basically? Yeah. <laughs> the, the one ex-drummer who became a guitar player with me, because mm -hmm. um, I sang in the piece I was a little bit, but I wasn't a good singer. I was more of a screamer and a barker. Like I hadn't really figured out how to just sing. Yeah. Um, so it took, you know, it really probably took for me up until I'd say probably 2005, 2006, when I really started singing a lot of harmonies in the studio and realized, oh, wait a minute, I've been working too hard. You know, I mean, you can do this without absolutely blowing your voice out and killing yourself, you know, but a lot of that is just ignorance and learning how to sing. Um, and I, I had a great teacher, you know, you sit next to LeJean you tuck him behind him and ride in his shadow for a while. Um, you know, you learn a lot. So, but I mean, honestly, I think it really came from the fact that Morgan had an exceptional voice too. You know, he was always a singing drummer and he's a writer, you know, he's not just a drummer. I mean, he's a guy who will sit down with a pad and a paper and put, you know, lyrics and melodies to existing melodies. Um, He's very involved in the musical part of the process, you know, so it was only natural that the two of us just said, well, I mean, we're not nearly as good as LeJean. We don't kid ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> right. but we can pull off some stuff, you know, and we can give different, you know, different textures, you know, Clint doing the super heavy thing, maybe me doing a higher thing and Morgan doing the crow, you know, just kind of expands the universe a little bit sometimes, um, and we've all got very similar voices, but we all have our, 
our strong suits, you mm -hmm. know, Clint with the super, super heavy guttural thing. I can't do that. Right. I mean, right. I have to blow my voice out to be able to do that. I'm, I'm better at higher, you know, stuff to a point. I don't have the range of any, so I'm kind of stuck somewhere in that gray area. And, uh, Morgan's just got a unique ability to be able to, you know, do the crow at will. Um, so it's cool to have those different, you know, those different textures, mm -hmm. you know, and we've always been a fan of, you know, people joking are like, you're like the heavy metal Eagles. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah, that is but a huge. I don't mind that at all, you know, because that's kind of the way we approach it. You know, even on the time travelers thing, it even felt more so that way. It's like, okay, everyone in this band can sing enough to be able to sing behind Lejean, you know, um, you know, being a lead singer, and being a lead singer in Seven Dust are two different things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we arguably have one of the best singers in the world. So we're, uh, we're, we're confident with what we can do, but it's so much easier when we can sit behind him and, and let him drive the car. This just kind of came to me. Are you, are you close to Rich Ward and Frank Fonseray? Yeah. I mean, I haven't spoken to Rich in a while, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, we toured together, um, on the first album, as a matter of fact, we yeah. did a tour with uh, Clutch and Stuck Mojo back in the day. And, wow. You know, I mean, I, I see him on Twitter and stuff like that. I think we may be playing some shows with Fozzie. Yeah. So I'll probably see him out there during the festival circuit. And then, like, how crazy is it for you to see them, you know, kind of finally getting that success that they were trying for so much back then, uh, you know, finally it's getting so some success weird. with Judas? It's, I mean, I, I think it's great, mm -hmm. you know. But it was such a weird surprise. It was like, why now? Right. <laughs> like what, what changed, you know, cause they've always put good quality stuff out there. They've always had a good time doing it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know, this time it just really caught for them. So it, it was definitely nice to see that for sure. And I think it kind of comes back around to that whole producer thing. You know, they actually got a, like an outside, outside yeah. hand and, and a guy that really worked with them. And, uh, man, I think Sometimes that that's all you really need is just that extra little bit of, of something, you know, that extra little added chemistry to the mix, just to, to not completely reinvent it, but just mm -hmm. to change it up enough, yep. you know, you know, and, and it's, and again, it's just proof that, you know, one song can change an entire career. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. For better or for worse, <laughs> right? You know, they could go a number of ways. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's kind of get a wrap it up on the album and the upcoming tour. But um, all I see uh, is it all I see war. What did I write down? All I see is war. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, it's a lot of words. <laughs> Whatever the most words is to say that, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that was my only critique. Is I'm I'm the guy who loves one word album titles, and I even kind of let my hair down and like, all right, projected ignite my insanity. There's three, but when I hit five, I had I kind of got that nervous tick, and I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> but I warmed up to it. All right, so All I See Is War is out uh, May 11th, and uh, like I said, man, I've heard the whole album. I think it's great. It's a great Seven Dust album, and uh, you guys started a tour on uh, April 20th. Man, that's going to be awesome, and it's coming close here, so I'll definitely make it over to uh, to, to Lexington, which is at a, oh, nice. at a newer venue cool. called Manchester Music Hall, and I, I saw John Five there a couple of months ago, and it's a fantastic venue. I'm, I'm loving some of these oh, new, cool. new venues popping up that people are putting a little bit of money into. You know, it's in a day and age where you're watching a lot of these old ones, you know, not survive. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it is kind of cool when you can go to a place like 
you know, just off the top of my head, Dallas, Texas, you know, mm-hmm. Clint out there with the bomb factory and now, um, the new venue that used to be deep LM live. I forget what the name of it. Um, we just played there new year's Eve. Jesus, mm. I'm spacing on the name of it. Canton hall. Um, okay. but that, that's what he's done. I mean, he's basically just invested a lot of money back into and made him really nice venues. So it's kind of cool. It's bittersweet because you know, you lose like house of blues, LA, that's like that's like one of the most iconic places that we could ever play. Right. You know. But there'll be something cool going in there. I mean, they've got plenty of theaters around there, but it is nice to see these new ones popping up, you know. Because that that shows me that people have faith and want to spend money to go out to see good music, you know. Yeah, I mean even in uh even in Atlanta there, I mean you have one of the more iconic in my mind venues kind of gone away with the masquerade and it's reopened. I've yet to go to the new one, but uh you know, I spent many of my teenage years driving from Nashville to Atlanta to see shows at the masquerade. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was bittersweet for me too, you know. I mean a lot of good memories, a lot of weird memories. Um <laughs> but it was cool. I mean the new one, um when we played it, they had kind of just moved in, so They've got some room to work with there, and I know that they were going to expand and build and do all that stuff. But at, at least it's moving. At least yeah. it's it's you know it's going to be around. Well, very cool, man. And the, uh, obviously, on the, the tour coming up, you got Memphis Mayfire, Fire from the Gods, and Madam Mayhem. And uh, Fire from the Gods, man, that's, that's a great a band. Great band coming up. <laughs> yeah, how many how many more uh, you know band uh, band names can you get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good dudes, man. Uh, you know, both of them, Memphis Mayfire and uh, Fire from the Gods, they're also label mates, too. So we got the Rise connection going on out yep. there. And then uh, Madam Mayhem, um, I've known of for a while. I don't know that I've ever actually met her, but I know Corey has done a good bit of work with her mm-hmm. um, on her demo stuff. And, you know, we're friends with the dudes in the band. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be a, a nice little family affair out there. No, another connection there. Billy Gray from Fozzie played in Madam Mayhem for a minute, so there you go. Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, John Connolly, man, I thank you for taking all the time today. This has been a blast, and uh, you know, good luck with the new album, all that good stuff. Well, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. It takes time to blow. Say it ain't so.
is Rob Flynn from Machine Head, and you're listening to Talk To Me. And once again, a huge thank you to John Connolly of Seven Dust. A nice long hour and 15 minutes with John Connolly. So grateful for him to give me his time. The guy can talk, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. Also, make sure to check out Heartsick Band. Make sure to check out Good Company with Bowling. Make sure to check out Nonpoint out on tour right now with Butcher Babies. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and uh, leave us a nice message on Facebook. A nice five-star rating, nice five-star review on iTunes and Facebook. Much appreciated. And if you want to throw a couple of bucks at it, patreon.com slash talk to me. Be one of the cool kids. So until next week with my guest, Des Fafara of Devil Driver, talking outlaw country. I am Joshua Toomey. This has been Talk To Me, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Talk to you soon.